0: Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. This week, we are finally bringing you one of the winners of the 200-word RPG Challenge. For those who don't know, the 200-word RPG Challenge is an annual game design contest where designers are challenged with making a game in 200 words or less. In a sense, this contest makes some of the designs severely limited, cutting down on what designers are allowed to explain and elaborate on. However, it's been my experience reading the designs that come out of this challenge that limiting the amount of actual writing that a designer has to do to create a game frees them to engage their creativity in other ways. Winners and finalists typically have some of the most surprising resolution mechanics and themes of any games out there. Also, a 200-word role-playing game is a really inviting prospect for someone who's never designed before. And many entries to the 200-word RPG challenge are people putting pen to paper to design for the first time. This year, the OneShot podcast was actually involved in one of the prizes for the 200-word challenge. We agreed to feature one of the winners on our program. The only problem is the three winners that came out this year weren't exactly well suited for podcasting. Although the challenge concluded months ago, we had to spend a long time figuring out exactly what we were going to do for this episode. I think what we ended up doing is great, and I'm really proud of it. I want to give a hearty congratulations to all of the winners. Hashtag Winter into Spring, designed by E.E. E. Coli, Dear Elizabeth, designed by Will C. And Sidewalkia, designed by One Shot's own Allie Grauer. Another huge congratulations to all the finalists and to everyone who designed an entry for this year's challenge. Thanks to David Sherdogan and Marshall Miller, who managed the challenge every year. And thanks to all of the judges who participated this year and helped pick our winners. Heroes, before we get to this week's episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you, because it's kind of a big week for me. On September 14th, this Friday, I'm getting married. One shot has changed my life in so many amazing ways. But one of the biggest is that it's responsible for me being at an event called Dodgeball Dungeon almost four years ago. One shot is also responsible for me contributing to an episode of Your Stories by the Nerdlogs, and attending the opening of a geek themed bar in Chicago. And it's most certainly responsible for me organizing a recording of Cosmic Patrol. And all of those events are deeply important to me because they allowed me to meet and get to know the person who's going to become my wife. When I first saw her, I thought she was so beautiful that I would be the luckiest person in the world if I got a chance to talk to her. Little did I know that she was not only beautiful, but also compassionate, kind, charming, and supportive of not just me, but everyone in her life. There's no way I could have predicted that that would be the person that I would marry. But I was right about one thing. I am extremely lucky. This week, if you feel so moved, please issue myself and Mel congratulations. You can use the hashtag till death save do us part. If you'd like to tag something on Twitter. Mel and I cannot afford to take a honeymoon this year, though we're hoping to next year. If you'd like to contribute to our ability to do that, you can head to bit.ly slash James and Mel. That's J-A-M-E-S-A-N-D-M-E-L and make a small contribution to our honeymoon fund. This Saturday on the OneShot Twitch channel, we'll be streaming a short wedding celebration that you're all invited to attend. For now, thanks to everybody for listening to and contributing to this show because it changed my life and it made me happier than I could have ever imagined. Now, with all that out of the way, Let's get to the show. All right, heroes, let's meet our party for this week. Uh, and when I say party, it is just Allison Grauer. Ellie, how are you doing?
1: I am definitely a party. Yeah. Let's be honest. Uh,
0: for sure. When when you get uh, you and I playing a game, it's a party, mm-hmm. friend. Allie, uh, we are here because of the 200 Word RPG Contest. Would you care to explain this contest to our listeners who might not be familiar with it?
1: For sure. The 200 Word RPG Challenge is a yearly contest that goes back several years, uh, organized by some cool game people who thought it would be a neat challenge to inspire people to try their hand at writing a role-playing game in 200 words or less. That in and of itself is pretty much the challenge. They have like a month or two to send in their submissions for their games that they've created. In previous years, people could submit multiple entries. I think this year they, they lowered it down to just one because the response has grown so much over the last couple of years. And then they get a bunch of volunteer beta readers to, once they've closed submissions, the beta readers go through and they read every single game. Um, They divide up the the work and bless them. They read every single game and they provide feedback to the judges. And then the judges go through and they narrow it down to the finalists. The judges all go through every finalist on their own, uh, provide feedback. And then somehow they figure out three winners out of every single entry that gets submitted.
0: That is bananas.
1: Yeah. What's really interesting is that. There's no real criteria as long as it's 200 words or less and it's a role playing game, whatever that may mean to you, it, it's it's valid. It's a game.
0: That, that's one of my favorite things about the contest, actually, is that there is no upfront limitation on what a role-playing game can be. Yeah. Which means so many of the designs that get submitted are very experimental. I mean, when, when you just have 200 words to work with, it doesn't matter if you swing for the fences because it didn't take that much time from you to actually try it out and create something really fresh and different.
1: You do see a lot of really interesting entries as far as the creativity behind the mechanics, behind the stories that are being told or being offered up between the backgrounds of the people who who are submitting these games. You can see who really gravitates towards Mm -hmm. those number-crunchy, dice-rolling, strategy-type things. You can see the ones that are brought up by people who really gravitate towards organic storytelling. You can see the ones that come up that feel almost like I don't know, therapeutic, like there are some games that come up that I'm like, man, I feel better just for having read that. Like, I wonder what that would be like to play, like the emotional journey that you might go through on that kind of game, which is really interesting. I've never seen like a writing contest like this that had this much variety in it. And I've never really done any game design before, not in a traditional sense anyway. Uh, But uh, gosh darn it, if I haven't made some stuff up over the years that that turned into things that I didn't expect it to turn into. So it's just really interesting.
0: That That is the cool thing about the contest as well is the barrier to entry is really low. Like all, all you have to do is task yourself with coming up with a 200 word piece. And whether you're a veteran designer who's been around the industry for, you know, years and years and, and you've published several games Or you're somebody who's uh, just played games and you're very new to it. Or, you know, on the off chance that you've never even played a role-playing game before and you just find out about the contest, like, it doesn't take much for you to decide, oh, I want to do this. and, And you try. And no matter how you place in the competition, like, you can always, like, look back and say, hey, I designed a game. And the cool thing is uh, folks like you who are new to design are willing to, to go out on really interesting limbs and explore new things that uh, maybe a veteran designer who has a lot of experience to draw on, but also like a lot of, I don't know, being, being set in your ways almost, you know, wouldn't. Which means uh, that we get really fresh ideas like Sidewalkia, which is one of the winning entries and just so happens to be your entry.
1: Frankly, James, I'm gonna be really honest, I am so surprised that this game won. But I am so thrilled, like down to my very bones. There are a few moments in life that have been that happy for me. <laughs> and I was thrilled to find out that I had won. Um, Because Sidewalkia came to me from a real life thing that happened and became overly imaginative in that real life moment. And stuck around in the back of my mind, like, man, that was such a great thing that happened that has no meaning to anyone else. And it's hard to, like, explain that moment to other people.
0: Well, I'm going to make you try because I want you to explain Sidewalkia and how you came up with it, your journey.
1: Okay, for sure. So once upon a time, Star Wars was, like, going to make a new movie.
0: What? I don't think that happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Once upon a time. And they were doing this big publicity stunt where they went city to city and like had this open call for unknown actors to play the lead roles and they graciously conned all of us into submitting video portions and like showing up to these venues to to meet casting directors and like submit our headshots and stuff and I was one of those people who was graciously conned into doing that when this road show came to Chicago to meet unknown actors I was one of those people who stood in line uh from 4 a.m.
0: wow uh,
1: until about 2 p.m. Drew was also one of them. My husband Drew Merzieski, my partner in previously seen on one shot in such films <laughs> as Dogs in the Vineyard. Uh Drew and I were both there. We weren't dating at the time, but we were hanging out a lot and we stood in that line unmoving for many hours in the freezing November wow. cold of Chicago. Um and when you when you stand in line for something, whether or not it's cold or hot or, you know, the people next to you, when you stand in line for something for a long time, you get a little weird and you you have to find a way to entertain yourself that maybe doesn't suck all the battery out of your phone. So we got a little we got a little weird. We were on this big square of pavement and we started doing funny voices and accents and character stuff. And in the beginning, it wasn't called Sidewalkia. It was called Shitty Beanie because I was wearing a shitty beanie hat that I bought at the Walgreens for $2.
0: Because <laughs> it was so freezing cold. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because it was so cold. But I thought Shitty Beanie really didn't communicate <laughs> the, the game that I was trying to make.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, the new title for it serves it a little bit better.
1: Surely. I, I definitely think it does. So we created this nation called Benia. I became prime minister. I made everybody in the square with me part of like the parliament of Benia. and we we declared different landmarks around us, the tree, the brick wall, the chain link fence, the trash can into different landmarks of the countryside and and we just got weird with it. That when that line finally started moving because they were actually starting to open the doors and see people, we bid Benia goodbye and uh that was that. But That always stuck with me we were just a bunch of grown adults standing in line for something for a really really long time in the freezing cold and we got weird and i thought that that was so fun and it was so like just pure and childhood like imagination like yeah and now this is a an island that we own and there's sheep on it and stuff when i sat down to try to create a 200 word rpg this year, um, I had a couple ideas and I knew that I wanted to chase that childhood kind of, yeah, and this thing, but I wasn't sure how to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I went through several drafts of different ideas and none of them were really sticking. None of them really clicked. Some of them felt really sappy and some of them felt really preachy and I wasn't communicating my my feelings very well. And then it just hit me that shitty beanie was the <laughs> answer and Shiribinia wasn't just a thing that happened for no reason, that it was a thing that could happen anywhere with anybody on any piece of sidewalk. And that's, that's how Sidewalkia was born.
0: I, that, that's really cool. I mean, coming from the improv community, we look to childhood imagination games as really inspirational pieces of improv design. If you speak to any improv instructor, they can tell you that the best improvisers in the world are little kids because they uh, instinctually do a lot of the things that uh, we as performers trained to do for years and for me role-playing games and improv are you know inseparably linked i i think all role-playing games as uh it's really just complex and robust improv forms it's something that sort of bridges that gap to you know where we look to as improvisers for inspiration uh to you know the this thing game design which i i think is really unique and and really cool and uh serves uh, the spirit of what improv is trying to get at so well like anything that bridges that gap to me is totally interesting. And that's what Sidewalkia is. Now, for those who who might not know, who have not read Sidewalkia yet, Sidewalkia does work exactly like Shitty Benia in that it is a game that is played on a patch of sidewalk uh, outside, uh, sometimes with people you know, and sometimes with complete strangers.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it just kind of gelled into this perfect... Um... Cluster of of what I really like about games and storytelling is that there's an element of unknown of the of the random. There's an invitation to other people to play with you and to be a part of something. You get to create something together on the spot that has no no real rules or limitations on it. There are suggestions in the rules for Sidewalkie on what you can do together, but you don't have to do those things. You could do totally different things if, the, if it comes up. But I liked the idea of doing something like that where you invite other people into that world with you. And you celebrate if they do. Yeah. And if they say no, that you make it into a big deal that they said no without shaming them for saying no, but that it turns into a piece of the story, whether you like it or not. I think that's really, really fun. If I was a kid, I would definitely play Sidewalkia.
0: Yeah, and I feel like kids play games like Sidewalkia pretty often. It's cool to have the structure of Sidewalkia that you give. Like you mentioned that there aren't rules in it, but, but there are rules some rules you know there there are things that are like if you follow this you are playing the game sidewalkia and you can iterate on those ideas and expand on them and 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 maybe conditionally ignore things but i think you did a really good job of packaging how a game like that should flow that an adult who you know maybe has has grown out of playing imagination games and does not instinctually engage with paracosms the way that kids do without needing any instruction at all, can take that and they can be thrust right into that game, which I think is a very impressive piece of design. The really only unfortunate thing about it is it's really hard to podcast a game like that.
1: Yeah, it is. I feel like Sidewalkia steps over that and goes straight for like web series, like a live stream of some kind. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Like, I think it is a, a more intensive video production project. And and the only reason that I sort of lament that it is hard to podcast a game like Sidewalkia Is that one shot this year said that we would feature at least one of the winning entries? for the 200-word RPG challenge on our show. And the games that won this year were Sidewalkia, which is, is played outside, uh, Hashtag Winter into Spring, which is a game about fashion design that involves cutting up images from magazines, which is really cool, but also mm-hmm. super visual uh, as a game experience. Yeah. Uh, so also not a great pick for a podcast. And uh, finally, Dear Elizabeth, which is the game that we are going to play, but Dear Elizabeth is by its nature a play by post game.
1: Yeah, which is so cool.
0: It's, it's, which is incredibly cool, but also hard to export to the feeling of podcasting, which is one of the reasons that it took us so long to, you know, go through these winners and go, okay, well, which one are we going to do? Because the question really, wasn't which one are we going to do? It's how are we going to do any of these? Yeah, it it sort of puts me in in a perfect storm. I love the 200 word RPG challenge. And I love it specifically because it's unique, because I I can find traditional style role playing games anywhere. And you know, I can find them in longer and more robust forms. But the 200 word RPG challenge is my chance to get to see weird, interesting games like the ones that we talked about. But now that I am in the position of like, okay, well, we have to make an actual play out of one of these games. (laughs) I was put in a bit of a difficult position. Thankfully, I do know you, Allie. So uh, I can can honor your win by having you on the show to play this game with me, which I think we're gonna jump into and and do right now.
1: Heck yeah, this is gonna be great.
0: So for those who don't know, Dear Elizabeth is a play-by-post style game. It, It is like Jane Austen's style role-playing. And it's Jane Austen Mm -hmm. style correspondence role-playing, where you are merely writing letters in character to another player. Dear Elizabeth is considered a two-player game. Um, If you were to add more people to it, you'd be changing it. And since like we're already kind of changing it because we're playing at least part of it as an actual play, I wanted to preserve as much as possible, which is why it's just going to be me and Allie. So to read straight from the rulebook, you are a heroine in regency or victorian novel so is your best friend though apart you write letters to each other you will both need note cards paper pens fountain or quill Brios will not do tea and cake are optional we are already sort of going off the book here because Allie is in Florida, and a huge part of this game is passing notes to one another, and I am in Chicago, so the distance that we would have to travel to do that would be a bit unreasonable.
1: And we sure could play it old school, James. We could have gone full LARP with this and physically written each other letters over several months, but yeah, somebody... you know, for the sake of the podcast... <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, somebody over the course of those several months had to organize our network's Gen Con experience and then prepare his wedding. (laughs) So in addition to all the other things that I do, uh, so that was a less than ideal thing, though I would love to LARP this game with someone. I I think that would be super fun. For sure. But, you know, this this brings us to our first part of the game, which is describing our heroines. And the first thing that we need to do is describe our personality. Allie, what is your character's personality? Like?
1: She's the oldest of her small family. Mm-hmm. She has younger siblings, so she's used to caring for them. She is well-read, but not considered terribly smart, I guess, for her station. Uh, not that that was important in this time period to anyone but the individual themselves. I feel like she's accomplished, but she's not too accomplished, like they say in Jane Austen books. Um, She can do a little bit of painting and a little bit of music. It's not amazing by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. It also says here to pick a virtue, a vice, and a hope. Did you want to do that next? Or can that be part of the personality?
0: We'll do that next. We'll, We'll go back and forth on personalities. For my character, I think one of her defining traits is that she is not a wit, But uh, she means very well. She's like a proper person. Everyone would say, oh, she she is the picture of of good behavior and, uh, you know, right-thinking English uh, morals. But with her friends and like uh, behind closed doors, delights in being scandalized. She is the sort of person Mm. who loves to hear the worst kinds of gossip.
1: Yeah, I think that my heroine, by contrast, she will bend over backwards to not say something that sounds negative about someone else.
0: (laughs) Oh man, I I have to know—is your character surrounded by people who would draw negative comments?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think that that's part of it. That her siblings are constantly gossiping and going out and getting into trouble, and her parents like do the best they can, but. They're tired. They're tired of dealing with their, their crazy kids. So they like, they say things all the time that they shouldn't say in public. And so my heroine is stuck in this, this perfect maelstrom of, <laughs> of like trash talk and gossip and bad behavior. And so she's like really, really, really good at explaining things in a way that makes it sound like it's probably not their fault or it's probably a positive thing. You're just, mm-hmm. see, you might, you might interpret it the wrong way if she says it straight out. Gotcha. But she's absolutely, absolutely tired of their shit.
0: <laughs> I love it. Okay, so, so now we do move on to the next part where uh, we pick a virtue, a vice, and a hope. And it says to embrace those 19th century values.
1: This is interesting to me because virtues and vices... Okay, so virtue, vice, and hope are all written with a capital first letter. And virtues and vices, I'm familiar with... But I wasn't sure if, like, Hope was a Victorian thing that I didn't know about, or if that's just pe- a piece of the game. What do you think?
0: Well, I know very little about uh, Victorian times in life, so it's pretty easy for me to assume that there is knowledge out there about it that, uh, that I just don't have. I'm betting the hope is more of a story-driven thing than something that yeah, ties... Yeah, like, like a
1: super objective, maybe? Exactly. Okay. Do you want to know what the victorian virtues and vices were you know
0: we only have so much of this game that we're able to record uh so <laughs> i suggest that we they, we tell each other about them this might not be how the game is meant to be played but they didn't have enough words to tell us not to do it uh so we'll we'll see if it affects uh how we do it at all i think for virtue for my character who i'm going to name tabitha tabitha is kind she she is a kind person I think her vice, you know, it's definitely, uh, delighting in gossip, I suppose. Um, but you know, she, she is a kind person and a good person and a moral person, but she absolutely loves hearing about people and things that are not.
1: That's awesome. My heroine's name is going to be Florence. So I think, uh, already I've kind of built in that her, her virtue is probably patience, which is all about like, forgiveness and mercy Mm. and like being as kind as you possibly can to other people without letting them upset you. And I think her vice is probably envy that underneath all of that, she really wishes she was someone else.
0: (laughs) Okay, cool. So then for me, oh boy, we've got to, we've got to have our hope. Now hope is, is a really interesting thing um, because like if they wanted it to just be a goal, you know, they could have given it a goal, but they, they put down hope, even if it is a goal, like you're engaging with it a little bit more passively, which uh, puts you yeah. more, more in the mindset of like the characters and the time. Yeah, definitely. So I'm trying to think of what Tabitha hopes for. I think her hope is going to be a more interesting type of gentleman.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. I think Florence hopes for escape. Mm-hmm. In whatever form that will come. Cool. Uh,
0: we've got to describe our family. Mm. I think I am the eldest of two daughters. A father obviously hoped for a son, he has a vast fortune that is built mostly on controlling colonies uh, elsewhere.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And he uh, was hoping to pass that off to a son of his. He's instead going to have to settle for a son-in-law, which means he is eyeing the bachelors that I engage with very carefully. And he is always trying to push more boring, sensible men on me when what I really want is a wild and exciting man.
1: That sounds great. And what is your mother like?
0: Uh, I think my mother is in many ways like. Me, uh, when she was younger, she was like a goody two shoes to the public, uh, but she really was a troublemaker uh, behind closed doors. And she got in with my father, who I I think was much more of the right and sensible type of of gentleman to get with. So I think in many ways, uh, she feels that the decision that she made was right for her life, but she also kind of regrets it. So uh, she's towing the line uh, between my father and myself. She understands my desires and wants me to be able to indulge them a little bit. But at the end of the day, she's going to side with my father when it comes to whom I try and marry.
1: For sure. That makes a lot of sense. And you said you have a sister?
0: I do have a sister. All of the brains went to her. All of them. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I was not even to borrow a fraction of those. I'm sure my father would rather it be her that receives the largest dowry and that marries the most sensible man And in many ways, I think he was hoping that that she would marry first, but I think there's a bit of a taming of the shrew problem in that way, and that she is simply not interested in most of the people who come by to court her. She is too clever for all of them by half, and they end up getting frustrated and embarrassed talking to her, so they never return.
1: I love that. I love that so much.
0: Allie, what about you and your family?
1: So, Florence's father is headmaster of a local college. He's very well-educated and Mm well-traveled, which means that he's very smart, he's very witty, and he's very rude without (laughs) probably... eh, I'd say like 50-50. Most of the time, he probably doesn't mean to be rude, but he just is. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the time, he's openly being rude to people. He's seen bits of the world that these people haven't. He doesn't have time for them. He says whatever he wants. Florence's mother... Probably, like, really loved her father when they got married mm-hmm. back in the day. But I think over time, just being kind of the sidekick has turned her into this, like, shell of a former person oh. that she was. She's very limp-spined. She doesn't have a lot of her own opinions. But when she does have her own opinions, she winds them. And she makes sure that everybody knows oh, that she's no. whining them. So it's kind of like uh, like in Pride and Prejudice when Mrs. Bennet is like, oh, but are you going to go see Mr. Bingley? Because that would be really helpful for us. And the father's like, no, I'm not going over there. And she's like, oh, but you have to. Like she just straight up says it. Mm-hmm. No, Florence's mom is like leaving notes everywhere and like wow. skulking out of the room and like just not super passive aggressive. Wow. Um, (laughs) Her siblings are, uh, she has an older brother named Thomas, and he's away at law school. Good for him. Um, She has two younger sisters who are 14. Their names are Millicent and Wilhelmina. So it's Millie and Mina. And then she has a very small younger brother named Frederick, who is six.
0: Oh, wow. Big, big family. Frederick,
1: Frederick is like climbing trees and, like, digging holes and constantly covered in dirt and, like, mud and doing all kinds of stuff, and there's no one to really, like, manage him. Um, (laughs) uh, Millie and Mina are constantly sneaking out of the house, and, like, they're 14. They're already on the prowl. They don't even know what the prowl is, and they're doing it. Oh, boy. Trying to, like, figure out how to get invited to parties and things like that. Um, And then they fight, and when they fight, it's, like, just a disaster. And Thomas is never around because he's away at law school, so... Florence is kind of in charge
0: and it sucks. Well, there we have it. So now we have to go into our personal backstories together, which is how did we meet?
1: Hmm. I want to say it was at someone's party.
0: Yeah, it, it had to be at a ball. Um, and I think it was because someone somewhere was giving you trouble. So who who do you think was, was troubling you?
1: It's uh another society girl that we know who was hounding me about my brother. Oh
0: Gertrude. Yeah.
1: Ugh. Gertrude.
0: So I think Gertrude was really giving it to you in, in like some corner of this ball. I noticed Gertrude doesn't know this, but I have an ongoing rivalry with Gertrude and I've heard things about her uh, that that (laughs) could destroy her. I, I went over and I was excessively polite to her, which of course infuriated her and forced her to go off. I went to check in with you and I don't think you were feeling super sociable. but you know I I have this way of talking to people, especially uh, folks like you who, who are smarter, like you instantly size up that I am no threat to you. And so Mm -hmm. like that puts you off guard and I can sort of like poke and prod until I can get you to say something uncharitable. And then I just delight Mm -hmm. in it because smart girls have the best uncharitable things to say.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So I think that's exactly what happened that we were at this ball. Gertrude was hounding me about Thomas and it was turning really nasty. Like she was starting to make fun of my family and things like that. And Florence just did not have it in her to like really fight her off herself. Um, Mm -hmm. And Tabitha stepped in, saved the day. And at this point, Florence was just so grateful. Like she didn't want to be at this ball anyway. And I think the two of them probably tucked into a corner of the library or something and ended up talking about stuff and becoming friends. Yeah,
0: which much to the chagrin of my father, uh, because he brought me to that ball in particular because it was full of only acceptable men. Yes. Who I, of course, find dreary and contemptible. Uh, so <laughs> I, I made a friend that evening instead. Yep. Describe a special moment that you share.
1: There was a time when we had arranged to meet like out in the city mm-hmm. um, for like a just like a friend date. And when Tabitha arrived, she may have been emotionally compromised from an altercation with her father, who is demanding that she become more pliable and more open to these suitors. Um, Mm -hmm. I think together they sort of, I think they like went to a museum. And I think Florence was like, look, my dad's been all over the place. He's not the nicest guy either. We have that in common. But there's a whole world out there and you can do whatever you want because you're you're going to be just fine. You know, she like kind of took her under her wing and like took her to the museum and um did did that whole like the world is your oyster speech, that kind of thing.
0: I, I think that like significantly raised her spirits Tabitha is is the sort of person who maintains uh many large and sprawling friend groups, and generally speaking, she is the type of person where if you are in front of her, you are her best friend in the world. but I think yeah, in this moment, Tabitha being so vulnerable, so much more vulnerable uh than she is normally because you know she she has that. Polite veneer about her that that, that protects her uh, from any sort of intimacy most of the time, as well as any sort of danger. That and so Florence broke through, and that is when Tabitha, who hates the pen in the way Jesus hates the devil. <laughs> As as her father is is uh, so happy to say, yes. uh, started writing her friend, and they kept up that correspondence. Um, yeah, why did they part? You talked about us being in the city. Mm-hmm. I think uh, my family does visit the city, but not frequently because we have a truly large estate in the country.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And
0: mm-hmm. y- y- your family is just not that sort of family.
1: No. Unfortunately. Yeah. So I think you, your family definitely centralizes in that big country estate. And Mm -hmm. we were forced to start writing each other because Florence has nothing else to do except suffer around her family.
0: It's all Tabitha can do to keep these... Boring country boys at arm's length. Uh, before she oh, can gosh, find yeah. another exciting man in the city, maybe somebody who's been in the military.
1: Yep, that's the winning ticket right there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm I'm holding out. I'm holding out for another chance at uh, men in the city before I accept a proposal. Now that we've done that, now that we've created uh, Tabitha and Florence, who I think are delightful people.
1: What a what a pair! What a combo! <laughs>
0: you know what I kind of wish they just solve mysteries together but they might they, yeah who knows who knows we haven't got there we now have to construct note cards and normally this game assumes that you're going to be in the same room so the issue is that we can't have the same note cards let's do every other one uh so why don't you 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 get meeting I'll get guest and then we'll we'll okay. go on
1: so then my stack is meeting courtship scandal
0: quarrel and And I have guest, birth, death, and proposal. Now that we have these on cards, we're going to shuffle them randomly. And I will read the play section and then talk about how we're going to be doing things a bit differently. Um, So for play, players sit in separate rooms. No interactions between players or their characters except by letter. Maintain the illusion. An event happened this spring. Draw a card and interpret it imaginatively. Use a pen and paper to write a letter to your friend. Describe your event. Ask them questions about their life. Answer theirs. Develop a shared history and supporting characters. Channel your inner Austin, Bronte, and Elliot. When done, post it under the door and read the letter posted to you. Repeat for summer, autumn, and winter. So... That's the game. Uh, We are going to be playing by post over our company Slack channel. So... Allie and I are going to go off mic for a minute and actually write these letters. And when we come back, we're just going to read what we've written in sequence to one another and and to y'all. We'll be corresponding in the Slack, so, so we'll get each other's letters and they'll be affected by each other. But, you know, we, we won't be reading them aloud until we get back on mic. So we just played Dear Elizabeth.
1: It was so intense.
0: It was intense, it was a lot of fun. And and like one of the wild things about it I think is h- how long it takes to play the game like yeah. versus how long a game like this would have unfolded if we were just uh talking to each other at the table. Like playing by post sort of always does that, but I think it allows you to indulge in small moments more. Like you really look forward to how the things that you've contributed to that narrative are going to affect what you get down the line. And you're really not going to see any of that until like two letters from the last one you just sent.
1: Yeah, definitely. I also feel like it gives you a chance to have a little bit more control over your narrative. Like I think sometimes when you're doing stuff in real time at the table, you may throw something out there for a character to pick up on and they may not pick up on it. And you're kind of left with, how do I readdress that or how do I bring that back in or do I bring it back in? Is it worth it? But when you're doing it in, in letter form, you have more time to consider how you present it and you can bring it back you know, however you need to bring it back. It was really interesting.
0: Well, before we get too deep into the rabbit hole of actually discussing the mechanics, I think we should read our letters for the listeners. Let's
1: do it. Do you want to do, do you want to do dialect?
0: Uh, yeah. Awesome. And I believe your letter uh, came in first. So take us away.
1: My dearest Tabitha, spring has come to the city at last. I have often wondered whether the seasons come slower here than in the country, or if perhaps it is the other way around. I've spent so little time beyond the county lines here that I would not know the answer, though perhaps you do, as you are so lucky to travel back and forth between the rolling hillsides and the stony town. Here there are bristling bits of colour on the trees, the gardens are starting to fill out nicely, and the rain falls pleasantly, no longer with the cold bite of winter behind the drops. What news may I tell you of? There is really nothing of significance— My father's college received great commendations from the government and he is exceedingly pleased. My brother Thomas wrote me last week and told of how his schooling goes and hinted that he's already surpassing the expectations of his teachers. He may very well have a position of great potential upon graduating. I am grateful if he does. He is a smart man, my brother, and deserves all the best for it. I am grateful too that my brother has such an opportunity to go out and seek that education and I am ultimately very grateful that he does not seem to be squandering it. I'm glad that Thomas is making the most of this chance given to him. My sisters Mina and Millie are beautiful and clever as always. Their 14th birthday was last Monday, and they celebrated by attending several surprise parties. My mother was surprised to learn that they had been invited into so many, although Mina informed me that there was no invitation whatsoever. The surprise was on the party's hosts, not on the birthday girls. (laughs) Frederick is six, and although he has little to say to anyone, he is creative with his expressions of love, Yesterday he presented us with a finger painting done in his favourite current medium, mud. Additionally, there was no canvas for the painting, so Frederick was kind enough to use the wall in the kitchen, rather than the floor of my father's study, as it had been with the last painting. (laughs) And as for me, I have little more than the usual report. I'm in fine health, and read a great many books, and attend only the parties I must. You know how I hate attending gatherings without you, but... I could not possibly place all the blame for my absences on your time in the country. It would be impossibly selfish of me to do so, and thus I try to make my appearances suitably brief and in accordance with all dutiful expectations. I look forward to your kind letters. My heart soars at every new delivery of the post. Your sweet words always bring joy to me. I hope it shall not be too long till we are in one another's company again. P.S. Do you remember a Mr. Cavanaugh? We met him once together at one of Gertrude's very kind and carefully planned card nights. I saw this Mr. Kavanagh twice last week, utterly by chance, once at the library and once at the park. It seems he's returned from his work abroad. Something about an attaché of some kind? I'm not sure. The second time I saw him last week he passed me a note, which I can only tell you because I'm not sure what on earth to make of it. It took me all week to decode it, since it was written in Hindi, and I needed the right book at the library to make heads or tails of it. Roughly translated, it says something like, Winter lost the eyes of March. Flowery hello, goodbye, tree, new. I'm quite sure he either meant to pass me something different altogether or that this cryptic message was meant for someone else entirely. I admit I'm terrified to see him again at the risk of utterly misunderstanding the idea of it or insulting him by not bringing it up at all. What on earth should I do? Yours, etc. Florence.
0: (laughs) Which moves us on to my note. To my dearest Florence, whose words I find sweeter than the combined embrace of all the limp-armed bachelors the countryside has to offer. It is normally my station to look to my esteemed friend making her home at the capital with mournful envy. As you know, I sharply detest the dull days that pass ever so slowly in our country estate. Father has often said, with ever-evaporating patience, that days I describe as dull could be better spent reading an improving book than bemoaning my own lethargy. Mother has said that I might perhaps enjoy myself better if I spent my time in the company of men, who have read improving books on my behalf as i am sure you know i would prefer to have improving books left out of the matter entirely it is normally my station to be possessed of envy and true enough i have felt it more than once staring at the poisonously green hills that bar in our state However, had I not been in this dreadful place, I would not have witnessed what must be the most monumentally scandalous thing to happen on grounds outside a metropolis in at least a century. As I am sure you know, balls in the spring are a bit of a mixed affair for me, After being penned in for long winters, gentlemen who attend them always have something of a hunger about them. With the suitors from families father chooses to associate with, they could use a touch of hunger about them, because it at least gives them the qualities of a living person, rather than an oddly vocal ledger. However, I have found that hunger quickly loses its charm once dancing stops, and my partners believe it is time to prove themselves to be a wit." Thank goodness for dear Sadie, who possesses almost nothing but wit and has little tolerance to pretenders to her throne. Goodness, here I am going on about Sadie when I promised you a scandal. We were attending a small event at Wembrook, an estate not more than half a mile from Ashbrook, with an unimpressive facade but an absolutely brilliant parlor. The evening had precious little dancing that ended far too quickly. I lost track of Sadie because the aforementioned parlor has what I am told is an impressive collection of books. I was set upon by a weak-chinned ward of a shareholder in the East India Company, who was positively giddy about shipping lanes. I was just bracing myself to endure an evening of stimulating conversation when one of the older gentlemen in the room grew terribly pale. He stood from his chair, coughing and perspiring to the point that it became impossible to politely ignore. And, Florence, I swear to you, just as my father went to check on the poor gentleman, he coughed his last and fell to the ground. I must tell you, my mother, had she lived a slightly different circumstance, might have had a career singing opera in Austria, as my ears are still not recovered from hearing her cry. She fainted, and father's attention was drawn quickly back to her for the rest of the evening. One gentleman suggested that the ladies adjourn to a separate room while the gentlemen sorted through this awful business together, and I would have gladly jumped at the chance to escape, not just for my own nerves, but for the opportunity not to be forced to engage in any further conversation with my would-be suitor.' unbelievably satie moved to bar the door she insisted that the killer must be in this room and everyone present must be subject to an interview this is unfortunately where most of the excitement ended Without Father fully present of mind to talk her down, Sadie willed the room into playing into her interviews. I was stuck talking to the ward for for quite some time until Sadie called me over for an interview with some retired military captain. He was meant to get to the bottom of the whole situation, and according to the papers that I'm sure you'll be reading, he did. "'But, Florence, I have no problem telling you "'it was Sadie who asked the majority of the questions. "'She began asking after the young man "'I had spent the majority of my evening with.' I was incensed. If she had taken such an interest in him, why had I been forced to spend the evening with him? I was halfway through reliving the dullest conversation I believe any young lady has ever been subject to at a gathering when Sadie cried out in victorious excitement, which startled me and the retired captain in kind. You know, Sadie, when she really gets to talking, I can hardly follow her at the best of times. And I was all kinds of out of sorts that particular evening. But it turns out the young man I had been talking to was, in fact, a killer. Something to do with shares in the India Company and an uncle's will. Really dreadful stuff. You must write Sadie for a proper explanation. I'm sure with your wit you'd thoroughly enjoy her report. As for me, I hope you take to heart my advice when I caution you away from dull men. As I have observed, criminally boring men are not far from being criminally criminal men. Unfortunately, that is the last bit of excitement I have to report on, and probably the last bit for some time, as both father and mother have distaste for balls at the moment. Darling Florence, please tell me of the capital. Tell me of bachelors, late nights, and clever conversations that will go over my head. Especially tell me if you have found a suitor who approaches your worthiness. I will invest all my efforts into learning all I can to vet any caller who thinks they might be worthy of your attentions. Kindest regards, Tabitha.
1: My sweet and astonishing Tabitha. Your latest letter left me agape with absolute incredulity and stifling my utterly inappropriate laughter in an empty powder room at the library where I was forced to withdraw when I realized the nature of the scandal which you intended to not only outline but recount in detail for me. I am completely amazed at the events of that ball which you attended and indeed very grateful that it was not you who was hurt in the confusing mystery that unfolded. "'Sadie, as we are both aware, is suited to detective work, "'much to everyone's dismay, I am sure, "'and would be a useful addition to Scotland Yard "'should she receive a recommendation to do so, "'and would be exceedingly helpful to any department "'which seeks to right malicious wrongs and wiggle out the truth. "'Sadie's skills lie in truth-wiggling. "'I am, as you can imagine, deeply dismayed on your behalf "'that you were forced to spend time with yet another series of uninteresting gentlemen.' "'Although now we are aware that Clark, or whatever he was, was in fact a murderous Clark, "'his interest has increased tenfold, not unlike a loan from the bank. "'Your horrific descriptions of quiet, soothing, verdant country life "'are most definitely the worst picture I'd ever imagined of the countryside, "'and I commend you for your creativity and selection of words. "'I am sure the hillsides are not quite so poisonous as you think.' and encourage you to explore your natural surroundings with polite vigour, and perhaps your days will be less dull and more filled with simple gratitudes. If I were there, I assure you I should go on such walks with you, and then you'd see precisely how nice the country looks when one has the right company. But, as it is, I'm afraid I am fixed here in the city, just as you are displaced to the distant green hills of your estate— and so we too must carry on with letter-writing and wishing for something about either situation to change. I'm afraid I have delayed in writing you as I have been dealing with something disruptive of my own the last few weeks. Gertrude has set her cap to conquer me once more. Despite my own intentions of keeping my head down, appearing when asked to and disappearing before being asked to, I seem to have raised her ire somehow and although I have been dedicated to my literary habits and exceedingly plain social appearances, Gertrude has had nothing but ill things to say of me, my siblings, and even my parents at every event, whether or not any of us are present. So much of this has happened that word got back to me through Mina, who heard from Gertrude's cousin Gardinia that her anger stems from some unknown source, but seems determined to tear me down in the eyes of our social circles at any cost. I have been much afraid to even show my face, but my mother has left several hints that I am not to turn down any more invitations under any circumstances, and so what is to be done? Gertrude, like a town crier, stands atop her glamorous pile of friends and shouts my flaws unto the wind for all to hear, adamant that I should not go out— And at home, my mother refuses to let me stay in, with every little note left in between the pages of my books, on my tables, and even inside some of my slippers. Things like, stop reading and go outside. Don't forget to do your hair before you leave your room. And wear these to the party tonight. (laughs) My mother is determined to change my mind without actually speaking to me, and so I cannot avoid her thoughts infiltrating my own. So what on earth was I to do?' Unable to go out, and unable to stay in, I hid myself at the library more than once, I confess with great shame. I know you've told me I ought to speak more strongly to my mother, but how can I when she disappears like a shadow at noon? And atop it all, Gertrude waits at every door, every corner, ready to humiliate me in front of any eyes present to watch it, and I have no idea why. Frederick disappeared the other day, for ten whole hours, and none of us could find him at the end of it all we discovered him sitting in the oak tree in the yard of the townhouse next door when milly asked what he'd been doing he said i am not a boy any longer i'm a grown lizard and i'm moving out into my own flat in a tree exclaimed milly as mina laughed hysterically i knew you wouldn't understand replied frederick in the most icy of tones mosquitos rarely do "'I have no idea what to make of this, "'except that I feel very tenderly towards young Frederick's desire "'to escape the madness of the house. "'Father doesn't speak to any of us "'except in broad, general announcements. "'Mother doesn't speak except through sighs, groans, grunts, and hidden notes. "'Mina and Millie sneak out twice as frequently "'and their gowns smell of soot and sod, "'and Thomas isn't even here. "'He stopped writing as well. "'I assume he's busy with exams or some such, "'but it would be nice for him to let us know whether he's well or ill.' I'm very grateful to have such a loving family, such a warm and spacious home to live in. Things could be ever so much worse for me, and I'm so grateful to have what I have. At least there's always the library. And you! Your letters save me from myself, and for that I shall be eternally grateful. Is there no one out there to occupy your time with laughter and fun? Are all suitors truly lacking in suitability? Tell all, sweet Tabitha, for I long to read your tellings.' "'Yours, etc. Florence. "'P.S. I have seen Mr. Cavanaugh again, "'and I did not bring up the mysterious note he presented me with. "'I ensured that our conversation was light and wholesome, "'and I am positive that I did not display any insecurities "'or uncertainties of expression or gesture "'to betray my confusion about what it could have meant. "'Mr. Cavanaugh is a kind gentleman, "'his face somewhat weathered from his travels, "'though he is not yet old or fatherly.' "'He has very kind things to say, and whenever we encounter one another in public, "'he seems not to mind my lack of refinement or style. "'He is no replacement for you, sweet Tabitha, "'but I find his company something of a relief, "'a respite from the wilderness that lies within my own home "'and without my home in the parlours and ballrooms of society. "'I do not see him often, and so I am certain he is busy with his own life. "'It is likely he will be going abroad again soon, "'and then I will be left again to my books.' I am sure I will never understand what that strange note was for. P.P.S. Write me soon of your own adventures, I pray you. Although I also pray that there are less murders in your next note.
0: (laughs) To Florence. I was so glad to receive your letter. I'm glad to hear that your family is well. You must all be so terribly excited about your father and brother's successes. Mina and Millie sound like they're blossoming into exactly the type of young ladies that I would prefer to keep company with. Do take care to keep an eye on their exploits. If they are close to clever as you, they will take care to conceal what they are up to. If they are as adventurous as me, I shall want to know every detail of their exploits. I'm afraid there is less excitement to report on. Our family has politely declined invitations to no less than three balls out of respect for deceased Mr. Cornish, who took to his grave my social life alongside his shares in whatever wretched business was worth using arsenic over. One of our mares gave birth recently. I've spent some time watching the foal toddle about on its awkward new legs. It looks like Mr. Rantham at the dance that we attended last November, if if you care to imagine it. Forgive me for not finding the time to answer you sooner. It's not that I did not have the will or the time to write. In the country there is nothing but time, and I possess a strong desire to be an asset to you in any way I can. "'I'm afraid my capability in areas outside of conversation are somewhat limited. "'However, I have done my best to muse on your situation, "'and I would like to start by firmly stating that it is not possible "'for time to pass slower anywhere on Earth than it does in the country. "'It feels as though the rain never stops, "'and the chills of winter are still teasing the air.' I was quite surprised the other day when a maid informed me that it was June. I feel as though we should nearly be at the end of August with the number of hours I have spent staring over damp hills. Do you mean Mr. Cavanaugh with the dark hair and the deep green eyes which are predisposed to twinkling with confidence alongside his smirk? The same Mr. Cavanaugh that I encouraged you to speak to? The Mr. Cavanaugh, who believes that I spend my evenings in the company of young women who have vowed themselves to silence. Yes, darling, I do believe I recall Mr. Cavanaugh. I have enlisted every ounce of cleverness to muse over the note you received, and I am of the opinion that you have been given a poem that sounds much better when delivered in its native tongue. I would have expected a gentleman like Mr. Cavanaugh to be far more direct with his affections, but perhaps I misread his roguish looks for bravado. You must seek him out. Do not feel as though you have to unravel the meaning of his poem to speak to him again. It is my experience that men who are clever with words are easier to understand when they are not writing, and ideally when not speaking.' for my sake you must make it your business to find him again and learn all he is trying to say you must live as i am dead entombed beside the unfortunate mr corndish like the unfortunate bride of some long dead pharaoh with all my love tabitha
1: my most giddy and effervescent tabitha i must deeply and sincerely disagree that while the time passes impossibly slowly in the countryside It is in the town that time loses all meaning. We assign arbitrary numbers and hours and names to things, but none of it really matters until there is a purpose behind any of it. Any purpose at all would suit one to drive forward, but without purpose there can be no joy. Father has gone off for a few weeks to give a lecture at several other schools in the country. Unfortunately, is not anywhere in the vicinity of Ashbrook. "'elsewise I would have persistently enlisted his aid "'in delivering unto you both my letters "'and many gifts and remembrances of the town "'you so long to return to. "'As such, you shall have to endure "'my snail-engined post on its own, "'without gifts, at least for now, "'until I can manage to afford postage for a package. "'Tabitha, I long to visit you in the country. "'I am delighted by the idyllic views "'and quiet news you bring. "'What a delight to see your mares' new fall! "'What gentle splendour Ashbrook must have!' "'Nothing like the madhouse of my family's habitude here in the city, I'm sure. "'Lately all there is is noise, 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 "'often from unknown sources, "'which one can only attribute to Frederick somehow, "'and sometimes from known sources. "'Mina and Milly are in quite the spat with one another at the moment.' They have separated themselves to different rooms and will only speak through notes passed under the doors, with the occasional screaming and hissing of cats, this form of dialogue taking place in the upstairs hallway, of course. I am beginning to think my haunting of the library is just a little more than an ironic joke. I feel that my destiny is to die and spend eternity among the bookshelves and stacks, reading and reading, finally amid the peace and quiet, away from those in my own household. Tabitha, "'Sweet Tabitha, I have begun this letter days ago with the intent to make you laugh at how horrid life is here in town as I live it, but everything has changed so quickly. "'So readily can one's entire world turn upside down that I can scarcely write for shaking and the pounding of my heart.' "'In your last letter you spoke of Mr. Kavanagh's appearance and appealing qualities, "'and proclaimed the mysterious note a poem, "'and, Tabitha, I swear, in all the world, "'if anyone ever speaks ill of your intellect again, "'I shall smite them where they stand. "'By Jove, you were right! "'It was indeed a poem! "'And at the ball last night at Lady Gregory's on the east end of town, "'I found myself on the veranda, "'looking down at her ladyship's very fine garden from above.' "'musing over the layout of rose bushes and blooming trees, "'when who should discover me there? "'Unattended. "'But Mr. Cavanaugh! "'I was at first quite relieved that it was not Gertrude or Gardenia "'or one of the other ladies that I do try so hard to avoid nowadays. "'But there was something about the moment that followed "'which caused me to feel everything in the way of a panic, "'my heart leaping in fear, my breath catching, "'and my skin prickling with discomfort. "'Perhaps it was moonlight and music.' "'Perhaps it was the deeply brooding look on Mr. Kavanagh's face. "'Perhaps it was the fabric of my own old tatty gown which I most certainly despise. "'Or perhaps, worst of all, it was everything altogether in one. "'At any rate, I became most distressed and attempted to excuse myself, "'but Mr. kavanagh would not abide it and begged, Tabitha, "'begged me to stay a moment, to hear his words and show him only a moment of kindness.' My confusion grew, as he explained in many halting and ill-formed sentences that he had been in agony since he had passed me the note, and had no notion why I had not written back, or spoken to him of it the many times we'd exchanged words since spring. I tried so hard to think of something clever to say, and finding nothing at my disposal, I shamefacedly admitted to not understanding the cryptic message— that I had gone to the library to translate it, and found only a sporadic arrangement of words that had no linking explanation. I had been frightened to admit it to him, or to misunderstand whatever it was his intentions were, and as such avoided bringing it up. He laughed, and although my first thought was to be embarrassed at his laughter, I immediately dissolved that sensation into one of uncertain hope. His laugh is so kind, Tabitha, "'Not at all like the laughter of Gertrude's girls or my little sister's, "'and since my father never laughs and mother never so much as smiles, "'I was at a loss for what to say or how to respond to this. "'It was then that Mr. Cavanaugh explained in gentle, relieved tones "'that it was in fact a poem, as you suspected, "'and he had longed to see me again since his return home from abroad. "'He had hoped that I too would be glad to see him,' and my silences had seemed strange and distant. I then explained about Gertrude's social fox-hunt against me and my respite in the library, and he seemed all at once to relax entirely. He apologized for confronting me in this way and asked me if I should like to dance with him instead, and I was astonished to hear myself say yes before I could scarcely bat an eye. I danced, Tabitha. I danced at the ball. With Mr. Cavanaugh last night, at Lady Gregory's, in front of everyone. I am positive that Gertrude will be unhappy when she discovers what has transpired, and that my mother is likely to be very happy when she discovers it. But for now, I am awash with strange and unnameable feelings and thoughts that cannot seem to break free of the tenderness of his laugh, and the encouraging, sparkling, as you say, green eyes. Yours... Etc., 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 Florence.
0: To the ray of sweet light that shines from the capital. I was most disturbed to hear news of your continued troubles with Gertrude. Although it is deeply selfish of me, I must thank you for bringing this news to me because it has turned my thoughts from the anguish of my country exile to the velvet embrace of thoughts of revenge. I've had little opportunity to write to you, my dear, because I have been keeping up correspondence with many of Gertrude's less loyal allies and a fair number of her numerous enemies. I have made it quite quite plain that I find uncharitable gossip most unladylike, and I must know of any news they might have regarding our dear friend Gertrude, as news of my friends is all that keeps me happy in this country where I have been so rudely cloistered. Darling, I have learned much. As God and all of his angels watch over the world and our kingdom most closely of all, I dare not repeat even half measure of what scandalous things that have been revealed to me in the letters I have received from our friends. It does seem that Mr. Kavanaugh had a brief courtship with Gertrude many months ago that was abruptly ended after one of her expertly planned card nights— It seems that any thoughts of proposal fled his mind after that evening. It would be terribly unkind of me to speculate on the nature of another person's misfortune, but I have several guesses as to why that match has fallen apart. I did have a bit of excitement recently, and I believe I may have solved one of your mysteries. Father has been in need of some aid managing affairs concerning some of his smaller businesses. I happen to mention that Thomas was doing quite well in his studies. To my surprise, the following week, Father had sent for Thomas to take on an apprenticeship under his own attorney. Your letters have likely not reached your brother because he has been a guest here at Ashbrook. My father has kept him quite busy, and I will admit, lacking the social nourishment of balls, I have made it my work to engage with him as well. Thomas is quite studious, and I have so far been unable to pry him too far away from his primary responsibilities, but we have shared more than a few conversations, and I see much of your cleverness and wit in him. I will have to set my wrath on him, though. He has been busy, but not quite so busy that he cannot take time to write his family to inform them of his travels. I look forward to the opportunity to visit with you in the city once more. I am hopeful that I will be able to within the next few months. Having taken on extra help here means father is close once again to needing the satisfaction of ordering about dozens of young clerks back at the capital once more. Let us pray this happens sooner rather than later, with fondness and apology, Tabitha.
1: My dearest Tabitha, I am so relieved to hear that my brother has been at the mercy of the hospitality of your family at Ashbrook. I can no longer scold him for ignoring our missives, and can only feel relief and great joy that at least my brother can be near you as you toil through each day of your country exile— You must tell him that my fondest wish is for the two of you to find some joy in this country life. I know he is exceedingly studious and deeply determined to make his way in the world of business and law, but I beseech him, through you, to make attempts at friendship with you, for, as I cannot be there, I must hope that at least Thomas will keep you company during your slow, unyielding, unaffectionate time in the wilderness. Your words regarding the history of Gertrude and Mr. Cavanaugh does not surprise me nor do I find myself in any dismay to hear of it. In fact, I am relieved that that is all it is related to, and there is not some terrible other tragedy lurking around every corner yet to come. So too am I relieved that it was not, in fact, something I said or did which caused all of this alarum in the first place. At least now I know where we all stand. I thank you most earnestly for your report, and for your trust in me with the truths of the matter. And now— Having thanked you for your trust and truth, I must entrust you with truths of my own. I am in love with Mr. Cavanaugh, and he has professed his love for me. We have agreed to be married very soon, and it shall be an elopement. But that is not all, Tabitha, and as such I beg of you, if you love me, to destroy this letter once you have read it. Mr. Cavanaugh is not what he appears to be. He is not, as I thought, an attaché to a government official with work abroad. I will tell all when we arrive in the country very soon, my dear friend. We are not long for this country, but I have too great a love for you than to leave without meeting you one last time. I cannot write a word more on the subject at the risk of endangering everything. I know how you love a scandal, my sweet Tabitha. Heaven knows this may be the greatest one you've ever heard. Be safe and take care till I come to the country.' I won't come directly to Ashbrook, but I will send a message for you to meet me in the local village. I'll explain everything then. With all my love and secrecy, yours, etc., F.
0: To the most gracious of friends and sweetest of sisters, Florence. You must forgive my hastened and uncertain script, as my hand trembles while I write this. I have the most wonderful news, and there is not a soul on this earth whom I wish to share it with more than you, my dear. As I explained in my last letter, Thomas has been staying with us as a guest at our estate so that he can aid my father and our family's attorney in the seemingly daunting task of managing the collection of businesses father sees fit to maintain. He has made quite the impression of the two of them. My father is not a man to compliment lightly. Even as he was trying to thrust new suitors upon me, he usually stops short of actually saying kind things about the young gentleman. On the few occasions he has been audience to my mother without Thomas present, he has done nothing but talk of Thomas's intellect and dedication. I have made it my business to engage with Thomas on hours that father allows him to rest, as much. Much of this year has been social death for myself. I fear the few weeks Thomas has spent working at this estate have been twice as tiring for him. At first I intended to provide him with an opportunity to unwind as a courtesy. I find most attorneys to be on the dull side of clever. But I was genuinely pleased to find that Thomas bears a measure of your wit, which I find exceedingly rare which I find an exceedingly rare trait in a man. Rarer still in our conversation, Thomas saw fit to inquire about my own life. I felt quite embarrassed that I never had anything to say. I mentioned your letters and insistence that I might enjoy a greater exploration of the grounds, and he said that he would quite like to join me on such a walk if I intended to take one. "'Florence, over these few months, on our walks, "'Thomas and I have developed quite a close friendship. "'I truly meant to write you more about it, "'and it's one of my greatest regrets.' And it's one of my great regrets that this news will come to you as something of a surprise. But most of the time I have spent writing has been spent with him. The country has grown far more beautiful as I have walked by his side. And I have found myself thinking less and less of the excitement of the capital and appreciating the great beauty of the countryside. The only time my heart aches for London now is when I think of you. Dear Florence, please forgive my untimeliness in delivering this news, even now in this very letter, but I find I can't so easily say what's happened without making some small effort to explain This very evening, just a few short hours ago, I accepted Thomas's proposal, and I am overjoyed and deeply embarrassed. I have spent all my life decrying the dullness of men of law, and here I am hopelessly in love with one of them. I am sure when we are together again, you will tease me mercilessly, and I shall so thoroughly deserve it. With grand excitement and treasured love, Tabitha. Please forgive my rudeness, I almost sealed this correspondence without offering you congratulations on your own happy news. Does my selfishness know no bounds? Mr. Kavanaugh is an absolutely perfect match for you. I will, of course, subject him to thorough examination before I allow him any sort of blessing. But I hope we will be able to arrange that very soon. And oh that's my it. Gosh. Man, oh man. Ugh. So uh, I, I got to know, Allie, what card prompts did you draw for each scene?
1: Yeah, so the order was meeting. Uh, I think Quarrel was second. I've reshuffled them. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So it was meeting, quarrel, courtship, scandal.
0: Oh, that's so good. For me, I started with death. Yeah. uh, Then went to birth, guest, and proposal. Uh, The only one of those that really got shunted to the side was birth because I was more interested in engaging with uh, the things that had come in in your note than I was at like, you know, figuring out how I was Mm -hmm. going to get birth into the story. I really Um, liked
1: that, that the way that you did that, I was like, oh, of course it would be something like that because she's stuck out in the country. And that I just thought that was a really natural, really organic thing to to use that for.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was very fun. And and like, I really, I, I was so nervous because we, we've been doing this game, I think, slightly different uh, than perhaps it's intended. I, I do think they want you to do the letters in sequence. Uh, this game, again, I say took a very long time. Like we've been playing since about 11 and it's 4 p.m. now. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've been writing quite a bit. And had we done it in sequence, it's something that would have had to unfold over the course of a couple days. And not just be a one day thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is not quite a practical thing. Uh, but like, I was so nervous when, when you mentioned uh, your brother not writing you. I was like, oh, I've got the perfect theme yeah. with guest. Like, I, I want him That's to great. be a guest at Ashbrook, and I was so afraid that you would like be able to fur- further that plot before I could mention that he had been a guest here. Uh, oh, which is okay. like one of those interesting things about that shared world. Like, like you want to move back and forth. Like, mm-hmm. I think we we were thankfully of the same mind with that Gertrude story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, both played that uh, without coordinating on it too much Mm -hmm. um and i had definitely picked up on the fact that kavanaugh was a spy of some variety (laughs) uh with your first miss like i i really like that the places that we went were like espionage and murder mystery in those original letters in
1: these quaint adorable like teenage girl dear diary kind of way yeah there was some weird stuff going on
0: so i have to know what, what what did you uh see kavanaugh as doing
1: So my brain went to a lot of different things, but I didn't want to just like say it in a letter, not only because it's not practical to do it in a letter like that, but also because for sure, it would have been like, tra la la, I'm stuck in the country. Here I am in town. My new boyfriend's a spy. Like I I needed to find a way to like (laughs) weave that in, in like a way that would have made sense for the time. Um, Because... I love fantasy, but I also love historical accuracy. Um, And so in my head, (laughs) he could have been an agent for any number of like clandestine organizations. But uh, I'm a big fan of the idea that like, not necessarily like, am I uh, like, like James Bond type stuff? But like the the Mm -hmm. idea that the British government has lots of smaller clandestine organizations that do lots of specific things. Um, It could have been anything, but definitely espionage was the theme there.
0: That's great. Uh, Yeah, I I like because I actually do like uh, Jane Austen's uh, writing. Um, However, I think I am very drawn to the ridiculous uh, rewritten uh, Mm -hmm. Jane Austen's that that include all sorts of nonsense. So I really liked that. uh, I went in an Agatha Christie Uh, direction and and you went in a James Bond direction yeah
1: I really liked that organically Lawrence did not describe Kavanaugh's appearance at all at any point and uh (laughs) Tabitha was like oh you mean the hot guy with the green eyes and the dark hair and the nice smile yeah I remember (laughs) that guy um that like it it struck me as being something that like Florence just doesn't notice these things, but he's probably like supernaturally hot. And that's why Gertrude was so mad. Um, and so I could definitely <laughs> see I could definitely see this taking a huge left turn and him being part of some kind of supernatural clandestine organization, uh, Ooh. which now, dang, I have to write that novel, I guess.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like so, these spies on the fae. Yeah. He spies on the Unseelie Court. Yeah. That's great. I mean, w- one thing that I like about the way this sort of play-by-post game operates is the reactions that my character has uh can say a thing about your character. Like mm-hmm. like talking about that hot guy. Like it 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 changes uh the quality of like uh, who your character is as a person. When I go, yeah, the the person that I tried to introduce you to and make you talk to, like I can introduce a personality element for you to play with, uh, by simply like taking in the information that you provide with m- me and uh, expanding on it, which is really neat.
1: Yeah, it was super cool. I really liked
0: it. You know, good thing for our listeners out there. They can play Dear Elizabeth right now for free, along with all of the other winners uh, and finalists. And I I think pretty much just just everything that was submitted to the 200 Word RPG Challenge.
1: Absolutely. It's all free. It's all there. Yep.
0: Uh, Just by going to 200wordrpg.github.io, you can check that out. Check out Sidewalkia. That's Allie's game. Please check out Dear Elizabeth one of the other winners for this year and of course check out the third winner hashtag winter into spring ali it was so much fun playing with you i hope everyone had as good a time listening as as we did playing this out
1: it was so much fun thank you for having me james it was awesome
0: well heroes that's it for one shot this week but don't worry we'll be back next week with another game from the 2018 200 word rpg challenge oh fuck it's dracula in the meantime, if you're looking for other great gaming shows, be sure to check out Design Doc. Join hosts Hannah Schaefer and Evan Rowland as they redesign their first role playing game. Design Doc is an experiment in public participatory analog game design. It's fun, it's messy, and you're invited along for the ride. Coming up this week on the One Shot Twitch stream, TPK is taking this Thursday off, so unfortunately there will not be a broadcast. However, this Saturday there'll be a special wedding celebration for Mel and I over at twitch.tv/oneshotrpg. Heroes, I wrote a book, and it will be out extremely soon. It's a guide to help players both new and old build more complex character backstories, and it even helps you keep role-playing when you're alone. You can still pre-order it now through Barnes & Noble or your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore, and just about every online seller imaginable. Just search for the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide or James D'Amato. As always, heroes, we end one shot with a call to action. And this week, I want to make sure that everybody is registered to vote. You can head to vote.org to find out how to register in your state. In most cases, you're able to register online and it takes just a few minutes. Once you've done that, make sure everybody that you know in your life is registered to vote. There are many people who sit out midterm elections, and this is not a year that we can afford to skip. As always, a humble and hearty thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show.